Now, we've been, for the last several weeks now, we've been looking through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's, it's been kind of a rough little go of it. Solomon here has began an experiment. He has just been called by God to pursue everything man spends their life pursuing, pleasure and popularity and wealth and, and family and, and worship and all these things. He said, I'm going to pursue all these things that man spends their time, their life chasing after. And he does it in a way that is much better than we could ever do. I mean, he's the wisest man to ever live. He's the richest man to ever live. So if he sets his mind to do something, he's going to do it a lot better than we do. And so he sets his life out, says, I'm going to chase all these things and pursue all these things to see if there's any value in them, to see if there's any fulfillment in them, to see if there's any lasting joy in them. And he's doing it so we don't have to. He's doing it so he can teach us what he learns so we don't have to spend our life chasing these things that he says it's pretty empty, it's worthless, it's vain. And for the last couple chapters, it's, it's been pretty, pretty bleak because he's saying, I've done all this stuff and it's worthless. I've lived my life and it's pointless. I've, I've had all this fun and it's meaningless. Everything I've accomplished is going to rot away one day. So what's the point of it? And so he, he seems kind of, and he's, he's not depressed, but if you read it, you're like, man, Solomon, he needs some Prozac. He's not having a good day. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. It's uh, what we've looked at. It's pretty chipper compared to tonight. Tonight's pretty heavy. Solomon really gets in some deep despair at the end of chapter number two. And so we're going to look at that this evening. So the scripture we're looking at is pretty heavy. So let's start looking in verse number two. And look, one, one, uh, again, tonight, <coughs> sometimes as you study the scriptures and as you, especially as you're preparing sermons as a, a pastor or a preacher, when I'm studying scriptures for a sermon, I always look for outlines. What can be point number one? What can be point number two? What can be point number three? What can be sub point one and two and three? And what's my pretty little poem I can put in there? And not all scripture lends itself to outline form. Uh, so not every scripture gives you point one, point two, point three. And I tried to force it. I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of lessons in here. We're going to get to them. We're going to see them. I'm going to emphasize the truth that Solomon's going to get to. But there's no points. I mean, there's no point one, point two, point three. There's just some truth that we're going to learn. So let's start reading in verse number two, chapter number, uh, chapter number two, verse number 12. <clears throat> he says, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath already that hath been already done. So Solomon, you got to remember here where, what, who he is and where he's coming from, and context is everything. So Solomon is the king of Israel. He is the king who brought Israel into their golden age. He built the temple of God. He got Israel to an incredible peak of wealth and and and, and, for, and had an incredible army and incredible peace throughout the world. And he just he got Israel to the peak. Of their existence, and he they were the, he was the golden king. David, of course, was the greatest king, but Solomon is the king who got them to heights that no one could have ever imagined. He was the wisest man alive. He was the wealthiest man to ever live. And so, with his incredible power, and with his incredible wealth, and with his incredible wisdom, he has set out to experience everything under the sun to see if there's any value in it. And he begins by looking at pleasure. And he starts throwing these massive parties. Theologians tell us that he, he threw parties that the, the amount, they don't know how many people came, 
But he had enough food prepared to feed 15 to 20,000 people. That's a big party. And he did it every day for 10 years. That's, I mean, we like, oh, I had a great 4th of July picnic. So I was like, you had a for, great, I hope you enjoyed your 4th of July picnic. I threw massive nationwide parties for 10 years. It was incredible. So he, he sets out to, to experience pleasure, and he, he has these incredible parties, and he's pursuing pleasure by having a seven, uh, over uh, seven nights a week for, for a decade. And at the end of all of it, at the end of a decade, he goes, this is stupid. It's not, it's not any fun. It's lost its luster. There's no point in any of this, it's vanity. It's empty. And he's in his like late 20s by this time. So he's like, this is, this is stupid. I'm, I'm throwing all these parties. I'm having all these people come in. I'm having all these musicians come in. I'm having all this, this food come in. I'm having all this stuff come in. It's gonna, and man, we're having a great time, but it's, it's not bringing me any lasting joy. It's not bringing me any satisfaction. So he moves from seeking pleasure to saying, you know what? I'm going to make something of my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to leave a mark on the world. I'm going to start building incredible things. And he builds a mansion for himself. And it, it took him seven years to build the temple of God. It took him 14 years to build his mansion. Just incredible, massive, elaborate mansion. Bigger and be- more beautiful than anything the world's ever seen. And then he starts building them for all of his wives. And he's got 700 of them. So he's building over 700 huge mansions all across the world to, 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 supply, to support his wives and all these things. And just, he starts building national forests. He plants a 900-acre forest in Jerusalem. He, he builds out these huge pools to water the forest. Just incredible things that he's building. And, so, and he's doing this so that we can look at it and we think, man, man, I've got a nice house. He's like, oh, you got a nice house. Your house is the size of my bathroom. My, 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 my houses are massive. You're, you're proud of those azaleas you planted last year? He's like, I planted a national forest, and it's, it's pointless. There's no meaning to it. There's no fulfillment to it. Because he says, you know what, no matter how incredible these houses are, they're going to be destroyed one day. So what's the point? So then he says, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy my wealth. I'm going to enjoy a life of ease. And so he does nothing. He's got butlers. He's got cooks. He's got drivers. He wants to hear some music. He brings in the musicians. He wants to read a book. He has the author come in and read it to him. I mean, he just, anything he wants, he gets. There's no desire, no fan, nothing that he can't have. And he spends some time doing that and says, you know what? This is, this is all pretty pointless too. This is predictable. And it's, it's, it's not enjoyable. It brings me no fulfillment. It's vanity. So what Solomon is doing is he is spending his life pursuing the things we spend our lives chasing after. And he's doing it bigger and better than anything we could have ever imagined. So what he's saying in verse number 12 is all the stuff you fantasize about, all the stuff you have longed for, all the stuff you chase after, I have done it and there's nothing you can do to even compare to me and I'm here to tell you it doesn't satisfy it doesn't bring fulfillment. It's empty. It's all vain. It's pointless. It's meaningless. And there's no value in any of it. And in the end, you're going to die and no one's going to remember you. 
So Solomon here, he, he's, he's doing these things, and there's a couple philosophical objections that people have raised through the years about Solomon's little experiment here, about what he's doing, where they can say, well, it doesn't really fit in our culture or fit in our society. They say it's flawed. And one problem they have is that everything Solomon did, he planned out. He planned out his seeking of pleasure. He didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, let's party, dude. No, he planned it. He said, what would bring me the most pleasure? Let's have these parties. What do I like to eat? Bacon. He couldn't, poor guy. He's like, John couldn't have bacon. Shrimp, can't have shrimp. But he, he brings in all these cows. He brings in all these, these sheep. He has in all this food come in. He's got the best chefs come in. He's, he's enjoying the, the best of everything. And he's throwing these massive parties. Thinking, this is going to bring me pleasure, but it doesn't. So he plans out to build things that will bring fulfillment, but it doesn't. He plans out a life. And so they say you can't plan out fun. You can't plan out pleasure. You just have to let it happen. And so to really enjoy pleasure, they say you got to just let it happen. To really experience fulfillment, you just have to let it happen. But Solomon deals with that objection. Look at verse number 13. Remember verse 12, he says, anything you want to do, I've done it, and I've done it better than you, and it's not that great. Look at verse 13. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as the light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. So what Solomon says here is that if you go through life just letting things happen, you're a fool. He goes, just to go through life, just let whatever happens is going to happen. He says, that's foolishness. He says, if you don't weigh the results of what you're doing, if you don't weigh the benefits of what you're pursuing, then you're just like a, blind, a man who's blindfolded running through a forest. You're going to get hurt. And people are going to look at you and say, that was stupid. Why'd you do that? Why'd you blindfold yourself and run through the forest? You, you knew you were going to hit by a tree. And so Solomon says, there's wisdom in planning what you're going to chase after, planning what you're going to pursue. Because if you plan what you're going to pursue and you think about what you're going to chase after, then you can see the danger and you can see the pitfalls ahead. Does anyone here, anyone here, I doubt it, but does anyone here surf? Didn't think so. Anyone who ever watched surfing? All right. I don't surf. I, 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 I belly surf. That's about it. But I, I watch surfing. And if you watch surfing, you'll notice something. The best surfers in the world, they never ride the wave all the way to the end. Because if you ride the wave all the way to the end, you're going to get banged against the shore or banged against coral and you're going to get seriously hurt. So they ride it for a while, and then before they get hurt, they jump off to avoid the dangers. They watch it, and they, they watch the wave, and they jump off early because they don't want to get hurt. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Solomon is saying, pay attention to what you're pursuing in life. Pay attention to what you're spending your time, your money, your energy chasing after, because if you do... You might see some danger ahead, and you might save yourself from some pain. And that's wisdom. That's hard to argue with. No one says, nope, 
I think the best way to live is to ignore all consequences and do whatever you want to do. Now, we live like that, but I don't think most of us actually believe that that's a wise way to live. Think about it. If you honestly sat down and thought about the consequences of your actions before you acted, you probably wouldn't do most of the dumb things you do. I mean, right? The la I mean, think about the last stupid thing you did where you did something and thought, well, that was dumb. You know why you did that? Because you didn't think about it. You know, I've got, on my arm here, I've got a, a pretty gnarly scar where my sister tried to kill me. No, that's up here. Uh, <laughs> this was, I did this to myself. But I, I was building a house. I was framing, I was building log cabins at the time. And uh, I was in the mountains by myself finishing up a house. And I was trimming out this log cabin. And the things we used to trim out the log cabin, it was half-inch pine. And if you were trimming around a light switch or an electrical socket, you could trim it with a razor knife because it was so, so uh, soft, you could trim it out and kind of not have to get the jigsaw. And so I'm sitting there and I'm trimming this board out with a razor knife. I've got a brand new razor blade in there. I've got my hand right here on the board to keep it steady. And I'm cutting the knife and I'm cutting towards myself. And I slipped and, and as soon as I hit my, I didn't feel anything, I just saw red. And I had to put a belt, I, I mean, I, li I literally, I thought I was gonna die. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm squirting blood like crazy. I called April to tell her goodbye. I'm giving the 911 operator directions to get to me. I'm like, okay, you're turning up this dirt road. When you see the pine tree that was struck by lightning, you turn left. And this is, I'm in the middle of nowhere. They finally got to me, and I just got some stitches. They had to give me a little bit of blood because I lost so much. But anyway, that, was, that happened because I didn't think. I, wasn't, I didn't think, you know what, cutting towards myself is probably not a good idea. I didn't plan it out, I didn't think about it. I hurt myself. It was foolish. When you think about things and plan things out, you can see the danger and avoid the consequence. And that's what Solomon's teaching us. If you thought, if I click on that website, I'm gonna see something that's gonna cause me to have some lust problems, it's going to change the way I view women. It's going to change the way I treat women. It's going to damage my marriage that I'll have in the future because it's going to cause unrealistic expectations. Or it's going to damage the marriage I have right now. It's going to break my fellowship with God and to, to kind of get rid of the nagging Holy Spirit. I'm going to have to look at worse stuff and do worse stuff, which is going to cause me to treat women worse and treat my wife worse and view women worse. And it's going to, going to just ruin my future and ruin my expectations. And it's just, it's not worth it if we thought about that we probably wouldn't click that website. But we don't think about it. So we just click. I mean, honestly, if you thought, if I smoke this cigarette, it's probably gonna cause me to crave another one, and another one, and another one, and eventually I'll be addicted, and eventually I'll be spending hundreds of dollars I can't afford on these things every single week, and every one I take takes off seven years of my life, seven days of my, seven minutes of my life, and it's going to cause me to have emphysema and lung cancer and, and heart disease and die a horrible, painful death. So you know what? Maybe don't take up that first cigarette. But we don't think about that. You know how I know? Because I smoked for 10 years. And I didn't think about that. I just thought, don't I look cool? No. And you stunk. But we don't think about those things. And Solomon is saying, before you chase after stuff, think about what you're chasing after. Think about what you're pursuing. Is it worth it? Is it going to cause you pain 
or is it going to help you? We just live for the moment, and Solomon says, that's a foolish way to live. Now, Solomon, he's, he's making some sense, but then he's confronted with another obstacle, an obstacle none of us can get away from, and that is the obstacle of death. Unless Jesus returns, everyone in this room is going to die. I hope I didn't shock you. You were born dying. So look what Solomon says in verse number 14. Again, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Here's that one event. And I said, I said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool for, uh, forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? What Solomon is saying here is death is the great equalizer. No matter how much money you make, you're going to wind up dead. No matter how famous you get, you're going to wind up dead. No matter how popular you become, you're going to wind up dead. Even if you are the king of Israel and you bring Israel to its golden age, you're going to wind up dead. Every one of us are going to die. So Solomon is frustrated. He's saying, even though I'm smart, even though I'm living wise, even though I'm learning all this stuff, I'm, I'm going to die just like all the morons. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to die just like everyone else. You know, our culture doesn't like to think about death. We don't like to think about the fact that no matter what we do, we're all going to die. You can, you can eat all the leafy spinach you want. You're going to die with the fat people like me who are enjoying bacon cheeseburgers. You can do all the yoga you want. You can run all you want. You're still going to die. No matter how healthy you try to live, how much exercise you try to do, you're still going to die. So I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm not saying go out and, you know, live your life eating deep fried Twinkies for the rest of your life. Because if you do that, you'll probably die sooner than most people. You can. You can do whatever you want to do. But, but you, I'm saying be a good steward of your body. Be a good steward of your health. But eventually, it won't matter. So this is where Solomon gets kind of heavy. But again, he's teaching us a lesson. He's showing us how to live. He's telling us before, I plan this stuff out because you need to plan out what you're chasing. You need to think about what you're pursuing. You need to evaluate what you're spending your time and your energy on. And so here he is telling us that we need to live aware of our own mortality. Because if we did, if we lived more aware of the fact that honestly at any minute, any one of us could die. If we lived aware of our own mortality, it would change the way we lived. It would change the way we loved. It would change the way we walked with God. If we are aware of how short life was, we would deal with broken relationships sooner. We would deal with the bitterness in our heart a little bit earlier. We wouldn't let, we wouldn't let things go on in our lives that we let go on. We would spend more time with our loved ones. If we understood really how short life was, we'd spend less time on Netflix and more time with our kids. Because life is short. We wouldn't let sin go unresolved. 
We would let sin go unconfessed. We would want to spend more time with God. We would want to work worship Him, to serve Him, to witness for Him more. Jonathan Edwards said he wanted to think on his own death often because he wanted right relationships and right standing before God. He said he found that thinking about his own death drove him to do what is right. Most of us feel immortal, but the fact is you are unbelievably fragile. And Solomon is saying, life is short. Spend your time on things that matter. Spend your time on things that, that last for you. Spend your time on your relationship with God. Spend your time on witnessing for God. Spend your time training your kids to love God and to walk with God and to know God because you don't know how long you're going to be with them. You know, the stuff we spend our time on is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's pointless. And we have such little of it. Solomon's saying, think about what you're doing and spend your time on things that really matter. Look at the, verse number 17. <laughs> he says, therefore... I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all that is, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise, wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity." Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair for all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is, for there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to, man, yet to a man that hath not labor therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. So what Solomon is saying here is there is a diminishing return on all the things he's spending his time pursuing and building and accomplishing. And he's, he's starting to become grieved at life. He's starting to become grieved that he's done everything there is to do and he's found no satisfaction in his soul. And he moves from being grieved with the satisfaction he's seeking to being frustrated with life. And we know from history that after Solomon, the nation of Israel completely dissolves. After Solomon, there's a civil war and the nation of Israel is broken into two, two, two different nations. And they're invaded time and time and time again. They're conquered time and time and time again. The temple is destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed again. The nation of Israel is just completely dissolves after Solomon. And so Solomon is looking at everything he's accomplished personally. He's looking at everything he's accomplished politically. He's looking at all of his wealth, all of his possessions, all of his houses, all of his glory, all of his grandeur, all of his great successes and his, his peace treaties and everything he's done. And then he looks at his sons. And he says, well, I've been wise. I've built Israel to be wealthy and powerful. I've built all these things. And he looks at his sons and says, we're in trouble. Because I've done nothing but manage this thing wisely and one of these idiots are going to destroy the whole thing. He said, I, I spent all my life accomplishing all this stuff, and someone who's 
not done anything to accomplish it. It's going to take control of it, and they're going to ruin it. He is utterly frustrated that he is powerless to control what happens to the wealth he's accumulated. And then he starts to get into his despair. Then he starts to get a little depressed. He's achieved everything, and he has to leave it to his idiot sons. So look at verse number 22. It, it, it's getting heavy, but it's going to get good, I promise you. There's a point to all this, so don't get depressed like, well, what's the point of life then? He tells us that later. Look at verse number 22. He says, For what hath man of all his labor, <clears throat> and the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun, for all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief, yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night, this also is vanity. So here's what he's saying here. He is saying that he's working, he's doing good things, he's continuing to accumulate stuff, he's continuing to add to his dream, and yet every, and yet his heart every night goes, something's not right. Something's not right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm pursuing good things. I'm, I'm not... I'm being successful. I'm helping people. I'm, I'm doing the work of God. I'm doing what God's calling me to do. But it's just something's not quite right. And in these two verses, he asks two questions. Is there an answer? And is it all hopeless? And look at how he answers. Because now he's, he's looked at his life. He goes, look, I've pursued everything. There's no chance in you. There's no point in you doing what I've done because I've done it. And it doesn't work. It's all empty. It's all vanity. I can do it better than you anyway. So think about what you're chasing. Think about what you're pursuing. Think about what you're spending your time on. Make sure you're spending your time on things that matter because your life is short. And then he starts thinking about, well, I've spent my time on these things and I've done some good things and I've built some, good, some, some, some valuable things and some important things, but I'm going to die anyway and my sons are going to ruin it. So he starts to kind of get depressed and get heavy and says, well, is there really even a, a point to what I'm doing? Is it all hopeless? So look at verse number 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Now I want to stop there and explain what he's saying because it loses something when you look at it in the English instead of the Hebrew. It loses something from the Hebrew. What he's saying here is there is nothing in a man's soul that will allow him to find lasting enjoyment anywhere on earth. Not in his work, not in his food, not in his hobbies. You say, that's not true. Well, the evidence is in our lives, in the life of everyone in this room. You know, all of us had, had something to eat today, right? How many of you had lunch today? How many of you, it was a good lunch. You were satisfied. You walked away from the table thinking, oh, I, I'm so, I could, oh, I'm stuffed. Guess what? You're going to be hungry again. That meal is not going to satisfy you. Maybe for a while, but not forever. You know, I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And it is a battle at my house to celebrate Thanksgiving because as soon as, it's usually in September, but as soon as November 1st comes, it's like Christmas time. I'm like, no, Christmas doesn't come until after Thanksgiving. But I love things. And, you know, when me and April first went to Bible college, we, talked, we had our first Thanksgiving just us. And she's like, well, what, if, what food do you want to have at Thanksgiving? I'm like, all of it. 
I want ham, I want turkey, I want mashed potatoes, I want biscuits, I want gravy, I want green bean casserole, I want, I want sweet potato casserole, I want pecan pie, I want banana pie, I want all of it. And so us two, we had this massive, huge spread. We invited another couple over and had enjoy time with us. We had a lot of leftovers. But man, at Thanksgiving, I won't eat all day until Thanksgiving dinner at five o'clock. And then I will eat so much that if you poke me, I'll explode. I'm just like, oh, rolling around watching football. I am satisfied. But you know, in a couple hours, I'm going to think, you know what, I could, I could sure use another piece of pie. I could sure use some more banana pudding. That, that broccoli casserole is pretty good. I think I may get me another bowl of that. And the next morning, I'm going to be starving. I'm going to get up, I'm going to eat it all again. It doesn't satisfy. Our, our, our stuff doesn't satisfy. We buy a house, and we're happy with it. We love it. But you know what? Eventually, we're like, you know what? There's a bigger house across town that I could get. Get a car. Well, I like my car, but there's a, there's a better car or a faster car or a shinier car. I can get. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting nice cars. We all do it, but, but we, we get it and we think, man, this is, this is satisfying me. And then in three or four years, we're like, I need a new car. Or I want a new car. Most of us, we don't need a new car. We want a new car. You know, I've, I, I tried about, you know, April, I've got a 1999 Ford Explorer. I love that thing. I don't want to get rid of it. April's trying to push me to buy a new one. I'm like, why? It works fine. And so she's like, well, we got to give that to Parker. So you need a new car. You need a new vehicle, a new truck. So I'm Looking at motorcycles, <laughs> but and a truck, and a truck too. But you know, it's like we want these things. Like, oh, we gotta have this, and we 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 have what we need, but what we need is never enough. We want the next phone, we want the next computer, we want the next game, the next this, the next that. So what we have doesn't satisfy us long enough. There is nothing that's going to satisfy you for any length of time. You know, there's nothing inside of us that is going to allow us constant enjoyment forever because we're broken. It just doesn't work. Look, even marriage requires effort to sustain joy, to sustain romance. Any man or woman who's trying to live off the initial enthusiasm of their honeymoon is doomed. Because the honeymoon's great. Man, the honeymoon's awesome. The honeymoon is not marriage. That's not marriage. It's fun. It's great. Marriage is, is work. Now, look, it's good work. It's fun work. If you're doing it right, it's fun work. But it still takes effort. You still got to work to sustain that. <clears throat> now, there's nothing, uh, nothing's going to satisfy you. You're going to get hungry again. You're going to get your hair cut again. Your lawn's going to grow back again. Nothing satisfies. Nothing stays fixed. Everything's broken. So what's the point of all of this? Now, the first part of his answer is nothing satisfied. He goes, is there any, any joy? Is there any, any satisfaction? He goes, you know what, really, nothing on this earth is going to satisfy you. Then he moves on. Look at verse number 24 again. It's getting better, I promise. All right. There's nothing better for a man than to, he should eat or drink, and he should make his soul enjoy the good of his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Verse 25, for who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? So he's saying lasting fulfillment, lasting joy, lasting satisfaction is a gift from God. We can't find it in anything we chase after. We can't find it in our jobs. 
We can't find it even in our relationships on earth. We can't find it in the stuff we chase after. He says the only way you're going to find lasting joy, lasting fulfillment, lasting satisfaction is to get it from God. So here's the truth of it. God gives gifts to all men. Whether you believe in God or not, God gives gifts to all men. You are living because of him. You are wearing his clothes. You are breathing his air. These are gifts God gives to everybody. Everyone enjoys his creation. He gives gifts to all, food, drink, work, friends, family. He gives gifts to everyone, but only his children have the gift of lasting fulfillment, lasting enjoyment. How? If we're living right, if we're submitting to Jesus, if we're following Jesus, if we're walking with Jesus, our satisfaction isn't tied to our stuff. We can lose our stuff and it doesn't matter because we still have God. We can lose our relationships and it doesn't matter because we still have God. We can lose our health and it doesn't matter because we still have God. We can lose every. Remember, Ecclesiastes and Job are teaching the exact same lesson from different perspectives. Job had everything and lost it and said, Naked I came into the world, naked I'm going to go out. Blessed be that God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, you can, you can have everything and lose all of it and still have joy because you have God. Solomon's saying, look, I, I had everything and I chased everything. I sought pleasure in everything and I realized no fulfillment, no joy came outside of a relationship with God. See, Jesus is our satisfaction. Our stuff is separate. We don't rise or fall on the accumulation of things. We found our, found, find our treasure in him alone. And that is an incredibly freeing truth that Solomon's teaching us. Because he's telling us, the world says, you got to have joy, you got to chase this stuff. You want happiness, you got to chase this stuff. You want satisfaction, you got to chase this stuff. And God is saying, that's pointless. You can't take it with you. It's all going to rot away. It's never going to satisfy. So stop chasing all that garbage and just walk with me. Just fellowship with me. Just spend time with me. The majority of human beings believe that people and circumstances exist to make them happy. So when they're not happy, who do they blame? People and circumstances. If you don't try to find your enjoyment in Christ, your life will be filled with bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. It plays itself out over and over and over again in life. A man, he's got a, a wife and he's got children, he's got a decent job, he's got a nice house, but he's, he's still not fulfilled. He's still not happy. So what could it be? It can't be that something's wrong with him. It's got to be something's wrong with his wife. Something, and he's probably right. Something's wrong with his kids. Something's wrong with his job. Something's wrong with his friends. So it's not him. It's this stuff and these people that are not making him happy. So he begins to look for imperfections in them. And guess what? If you start looking for faults in people, you're going to find them. You start looking for the problem in people's lives, you're going to find their problems. So he begins to look for the imperfections and he, he finds it. He goes, well, I'd be happier if my wife would, would treat me better. 
I'd be happier if I had a bigger house. I'd be happier if they would honor me at work. I'd be happier if my kids were better behaved. They don't appreciate me. They don't respect me. And everything becomes about everybody else and what they're doing. Because you're asking people to fill a void they can never fill. And that's his big argument. That all of us are trying to fill this hole in our life with people and things that can only be filled with God. It's an impossibility and it breeds and creates conflict and resentment and bitterness and anger. And it's hard to argue with him because we see it play out time and time again in our lives and the lives of people around us. You make your pursuit anything else but Jesus and you're going to have frustrating returns. You're never going to be satisfied. Now, I know we, we know that theologically. I've not said anything that y'all are like, oh, pfft, mind blown, preacher. I never heard that before. I know y'all have all heard this before. We know that theologically, but it's a vague idea. We know it, but how do we live it out? Solomon shows us how. Look at verse number 26. <clears throat> For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. So who gets lasting fulfillment? Who gets joy? Solomon says, the one that pleases God. Okay. So how do you please God? It's simple. Faith. We live by faith to please God. That's it. Let's pray. No. Because again, that's a vague notion. Well, how do, you, how do you live by faith, preacher? What is faith? Here's faith is. Faith is believing that God is always with you in everything that comes into your life. Every blessing, every event, every person, everything that happens to you comes through the hands of a loving Heavenly Father. Even pain. Even sorrow. Even difficulties. That's, that's a very unpopular belief. See, what we like to think is God gives us all the candy and the devil's trying to take it away. We blame everything on the devil. Man, Satan's attacking me, that's why I lost my job. Satan's attacking me, that's why I'm having trouble in my marriage. Satan's attacking me, that's why my finances are a wreck. Satan's attacking me, and we, we blame everything on Satan. But the fact is, Satan cannot touch you without God letting him. He's got to get permission to do anything. So what that means is if Satan's really, and let's be honest, none of us are Job. God's not, Satan's not coming before God and saying, have you seen that? Sean Minnix there, he's righteous and eschews evil and is perfect, and I want, to, I want to teach him a lesson. I'm not on Satan's radar, and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to be. I don't want to be attacked by Satan. But if Satan's attacking us or bad things happen to us, God may not have caused it, but God allows it. And God loves us, and in his love, allows pain, allows sorrow, allows hurt. And faith is saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I know it's because you love me. And I know you're never going to leave me and never going to forsake me. See, 
God can never abandon you and will never abandon you to do with it alone. Your sorrow isn't about his wrath towards you. So that's another thing we think about. We think, well, this pain is because I, I made God angry and now God is punishing me. Look, if you're saved tonight, you are escaped the wrath of God. The wrath of God for your sins, every one of them was paid for on Calvary. When Jesus died, was buried and rose again, he paid the price for your sins and the wrath of God was poured out on him. So you are not in the wrath of God. So if pain comes, it's not God's wrath, it's God's mercy out of his love for you. Out of his mercy, you are suffering that you might see the mercy of God towards you. He doesn't want you to be an anemic, weak, spoiled, self-righteous believer, so he allows pain. The only way to shape and to mold is to hammer and hurt. And so faith is saying, God, the pain is because you love me. And I know you there. There are times as a parent that you let your kids suffer to grow. If you love them. Doesn't bring you joy, but without discipline, without shaping, without, without allowing them to fail from time to time, it's going to turn out bad for them. So you love them so much, you let them hurt. You let them cry. You let them bleed. And that's what's happened in Ecclesiastes. So what Solomon is teaching us here is when you view the world like that, it's possible to have joy even in sorrow, and that pleases God. He's saying you can't find satisfaction in stuff, in people, in pleasures. So don't even do it. Find your satisfaction in trusting in God and walking with God and having faith in God. That's faith, and that pleases God. Remember Job, he lost everything one day. He tears his clothes and says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll go back. God gave, God took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's faith. That's believing that he is with you, and everything comes through his hands because he loves you. So Solomon's telling us, You want joy? You want satisfaction? You want fulfillment? Have faith in God because everything else is going to let you down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.